You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Uh, so John chapter 13, as you're finding your way there, will be in verses 18 uh, through 38. Uh, much like this morning in Pastor Coburn's message, there's going to be quite a bit of background before uh, we get to the message, but I think it's necessary in building up to the point uh, that we're trying to get to. So uh, John chapter 13, 18 through 38, just hold your place right there. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, but as we get started, I'd just like to say that of all the gospel accounts, I would say that probably my personal favorite passages are found in John chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. I've also found whatever passages I'm currently studying, those tend to be my favorite passages. But there's just something special about really uh, this portion of Scripture because there's a closeness as Jesus talks uh, to His disciple, disciples. And uh, these three chapters, they're helpful. Uh, they're encouraging passages of Scripture, even though they contain what I would say are some pretty dark moments. In these chapters, you're going to find that Judas will betray Jesus. Jesus will tell Peter that before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And then Jesus shares with them some pretty heartbreaking news. He says, I'm going to be leaving and you can't follow me right now. And so they're, they're feeling some weight. Like There's some dark moments going on, but you're also going to find that Jesus is sharing some big encouragement. John 14 is all about the comfort Jesus gives. Six different comforts actually are, are found within that chapter. If you want to go home and study them, I would, I would encourage you to do so. See if you can find the six promises of comfort that Jesus gives in John chapter 14 when the disciples receive the most life-changing news that they would ever receive. But Jesus, He's giving some final teaching to His disciples before He is betrayed, arrested, and ultimately sentenced to death by crucifixion. Really what's happening is Jesus is sharing His heart and trying to encourage the disciples while trying to strengthen the faith of His disciples as well. And all the while, Jesus is carrying the weight of the world because He knows what lies ahead of Him in just a matter of hours. And with all of that on his mind, what does he do? He continues to teach. He continues to encourage. Now, when, when you look at the life of Jesus, you'll very quickly find that Jesus, he's the master teacher. And I've often wondered what it must have been like to actually hear Jesus teach and preach. It must have been amazing. I, I can't wait till one day in glory when we can hear him teach and preach. But even with Jesus... The master teacher, he was often misunderstood. There's a lot of people that missed the truths that he was trying to get across. Sometimes the truths that he shared went right over the heads of those that were listening, but that had more to do with the listeners than it did Jesus. In John chapter 13, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to teach his disciples the importance of serving with humility. But he's also using this as an opportunity to teach on the importance of living a holy life. Jesus, through his miracles and through his illustrations, he was always conveying a deeper spiritual truth than just performing the miracle. There was always a message that accompanied the miracle. Sometimes that message was for the one that was being healed. Sometimes that message was for the crowds that were listening. Sometimes that message was a rebuke to the religious leaders, while at other times it was for the benefit of His own disciples. 
The example he sets in uh, John chapter 13, it's a pretty famous uh, uh, counter where he uh, is teaching his disciples serving with humility by washing the disciples' feet. That's how he said, this is how I want you to serve. I want, this is a display of humility. But there was a deeper truth that he expresses to Peter regarding salvation and personal holiness. When Peter rejected Jesus' act of service, Jesus told him, unless you let me wash your feet, then you're not allowed to have any part with me. What do you mean by that? You're not going to be able to participate with me. That means you're not going to be able to fellowship with me if you don't let me wash your feet. So Peter, in typical Peter fashion, says, well, Lord, don't stop there. Wash my hands and my head too. Like, don't just stop with my feet. And then here comes Jesus with the lesson. John chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. If you want to look at him real quick, it says this, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So Jesus here, He's making this distinction from just having your feet dirty and being dirty all over. He said there's a difference between needing a bath and needing to wash your hands. So, so what's the spiritual application that Jesus was trying to make here? He's telling Peter, look, you don't need, I don't need to wash your hands. I don't need to wash your head because you've already had a bath. Your feet are the only thing that are dirty. You see, Peter, you're saved. Peter, you've been born again. But Peter, you're still going to sin. There's going to be times when you get dirty and defiled by your sin. And sin, it separates. Sin, it, it breaks fellowships. You see, one of the struggles that we'll face in our own life is, is our flesh. We'll fight our own sin nature and our natural tendency to gravitate towards sin. And even after being born again, we still face temptation. Whoever came up with this idea that says once you get saved, you don't have to worry about that anymore, well, they lied to you. It's not true. You will still face temptation, and sometimes you will step into sin. I don't like the term fall into sin because we make a conscious choice. More often, we step into it. Even the Apostle Paul said this is something that he struggled with. He dedicates an entire chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 7, to sharing his own struggles with the flesh. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He said, The things I know I ought to do, I'm not doing. And the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, those are the things that I often find myself doing. Matthew chapter 26, 41, Jesus tells the disciples, He says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, flesh is weak. See, our flesh is something that we will battle every single day. And there are days when it will get the best of us. And we end up giving into that temptation and we end up giving into that sin. But when the believer sins, their fellowship with God is broken. Sin, it breaks fellowship. And that is something that immediately needs to be remedied. So how does a believer reestablish that fellowship with God? Through confession. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
You see, the the wonderful truth that we cannot overlook in all of this is that if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, when we sin, our position in Him does not change. We still have His righteousness, but our fellowship is what needs fixing. You know, Some churches out there would teach that if you sin after salvation, you then lose your salvation and you need to get saved again. And that's just not true. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Can you imagine the fear in living in that condition? The fear of if I sin, I lose my salvation? That's not a way God intended for us to live. See, the truth is this. If you have had a bath, you don't need another bath. Now, in the physical realm, you need another one. But in the spiritual realm, you don't need to be saved again. You just need your fellowship restored. And fellowship is restored when we acknowledge our sin and confess it before the Lord. But for the person who has never had a bath, a quick wash of the feet means absolutely nothing. Just look at Judas. Jesus washed His feet just like the rest of the disciples, but it did nothing for Him because He refused to accept Christ. And by refusing to accept Christ, you cannot have your sins forgiven. At this point here in John chapter number 13, there was a darkness. The scene begins to change. Jesus, He's completed this humble act of service And you have this dark shadow filling the upper room, but but light is coming. There's encouragement on the way. But before the encouragement comes, Judas has to be dealt with. At some point, every person will be confronted with their need for Christ. And they have two options. They can believe or they can reject. There's no middle decision. By you saying, I'll do that tomorrow, that is a rejection. That's a rejection. And just like Judas, every man is responsible for his own decisions. The focus tonight, it won't be on Judas. We'll we'll focus on a different area and I trust that the Lord will will help us with it and I trust that it will be applicable to you this evening and will help you. So if you found your place and you're willing and able to, will you stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word? We'll read John chapter 13. Verses 18 down through verse 38. It says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. One of the things we talk about at the Christmas season, right, is Scripture being fulfilled. But also, when we talk about Jesus' death, there's also prophecies that are fulfilled as well. And this is one of those. It says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth, or receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit. He testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. One of those dark moments in the evening. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom He spake. Now there was one leading on Jesus' bosom, one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John talking about Himself. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to Him that He should ask who it should be of whom He spake. So Peter looks over at John and says, why don't you ask Him who it is? 
Then he, he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. It's literally just a piece of bread dipped in some gravy. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things we have need of against the feast, that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now there's some brightness coming. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you shall seek me. And as I said in the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Verse 34, this is where we'll find our emphasis this evening. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, Peter, he's got some more questions. He said, Lord, whither thou goest? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said, Lord, why can't we follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down my life, thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And we won't end on the negative note. Look at chapter 14, verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this evening. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word and just present this truth that you've given to me. Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing to your people. And I, I pray we'd leave here changed, uh, more like you. And so, Father, I pray you bless the reading of your word, and I pray that you'd help me as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Throughout the Gospels, you will often find that the disciples are given a truth by Jesus, and to us it seems glaringly obvious about what Jesus is teaching, but the disciples, they seem to miss it in that moment. Like, if you read the Gospels, you're just going to find a couple of uh, 12 guys that don't know what they're doing. They're often confused, but once they get the Holy Spirit and Acts, it seems like everything just clicks with them, and then they flip the world upside down with the Gospel. But I tell you this, that they often miss the point, because in John chapter 13 through 18, which is just a few hours of Jesus' teaching, like you have over five chapters dedicated to just a few final hours of teaching the disciples. And it seems like they're almost clueless. And you'll find that true in John chapter 13. As that comes to a close, that idea is very prevalent. In our text, Jesus, He's explaining that He is moments away from being betrayed. And He does everything but say the name Judas when they asked who the traitor was. John in, chapter, in verse 25 said, Lord, who is it? Jesus, in verse number 26, the person that I give this piece of bread to, after I have dipped it, that's the person. All right, That's the fulfillment of prophecy that He mentioned what happened a moment ago. Verse number 18 is Jesus, He's quoting Psalm 49. Verse number 1, 
It uh, says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted his heel against me. Now it's likely that David wrote this, uh, speaking of one of his trusted friends, Ahithophel, uh, after Absalom's rebellion, but this is just as true for Judas in this moment. We know that one of David's role is David was a prophet. David had uh, some special privileges as a prophet. He got to write about things that others weren't able to write about. But think about Judas. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas was the treasurer. All right, so mine own friend hath lifted his heel against me. One could argue that Judas was the most trusted of all the other disciples because he was the one that was carrying the money. That's a huge responsibility. And right now, Judas is sitting next to Jesus during the Passover, sharing a meal with him. You know, in my eyes, as I read this account, this moment had to be extremely uncomfortable for Judas. In Matthew's account of the story, he tells us that Jesus said, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of Him, but woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. I don't think they wore ties in that day, but if Judas was wearing a tie, he was loosening in that moment because he was nervous. And Jesus knows that the hour is at hand and He's about to answer a direct question about who this betrayer is. And I, I, I would imagine Judas is squirming at this point. He's about to reveal the identity of the betrayer by taking the bread, dipping it in the gravy, and then handing it to him. So here Jesus dips it and He hands it to Judas. And then Jesus in verse 27, He says, Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. Go and get it done. Judas then gets up and leaves. And you would think it cannot be much clearer than that, right? Like we know exactly who it was, but the disciples, they're like, Jesus, you're going to have to be a little bit clearer. We have no idea who you are talking about. They're so confused. And the disciples think that Jesus is just sending Judas away to go be a blessing to the poor during the Passover because he was the money man, right? Go be a blessing to someone. But before we're too hard on the disciples, you got to understand the disciples are in a tough place. They've been following Jesus for several years now. Three years. Why would one of them betray Him? Why would someone turn their back on Him? These disciples, they thought they knew each other. It was such a close-knit group. They thought they, they knew everything about each other. I believe... Practically speaking, this should just be a reminder that just because you spend a bunch of time with a person doesn't necessarily mean you know who that person is. The disciples thought they knew Jesus. They thought Judas knew Jesus and that He was a real follower, but they were uh, deceived by Him and then they were caught off guard by His betrayal. I also want to point out that Jesus knew all along who would betray Him. But throughout His entire ministry... He protected Judas by concealing his true identity. Fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment when Jesus was arrested. When they went to arrest him, Peter pulls out a sword, right? And he cuts off the ear of Malchus in an attempt to rescue Jesus from the authorities. Can you imagine what the disciples would have done to Judas in advance if they knew that he was a traitor? If Peter was willing to cut off the servant's ear... What would he have done to Judas? 
And all throughout that, Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, but He never compelled Judas to do it. You know, we look at the life of Judas and we, we scratch our heads and ask, how? It makes no sense. How could Judas betray Jesus? Judas had been exposed to the same spiritual privileges that the other disciples had been exposed to. He witnessed the same miracles. He witnessed the same lives being completely transformed. He listened to the same exact messages, but yet they did Him no good. Because the same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. Time after time, Jesus had warned about greed, but Judas, Judas, Judas would put His hand in and continue to steal from the bag. Time after time, Jesus had warned against unbelief, but Judas continued, continued to inwardly reject the Lord. Jesus even washed Judas' feet, but Judas refused to yield his heart to Jesus. You know, at this point in the life of Judas, he's now been possessed by Satan, and he is on his way to gather the religious leaders so they could arrest Jesus. You know, we look at the life of Judas and it should sadden us. Yes, we, we should and we can get angry about him betraying the Lord. But what saddens me the most about the life of Judas is the abundance of opportunities he had to be saved. And he rejected every single one. I once heard a preacher describe Judas as the man who kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. You couldn't be any closer to Jesus than Judas was, physically speaking. But spiritually, he was an eternity away. But with Judas gone, the entire atmosphere changes in the upper room. And Jesus now focuses His attention on His true disciples, His true followers. But what is the lesson that He wants them to learn? Now Jesus, He starts off by preparing them of His upcoming crucifixion. He prepares them and tells them, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to return to heaven because that's where I'm supposed to be at. Jesus, He'll also institute the Lord's Supper, something He could not do until Judas left because that's not something unbelievers are allowed to partake of. And now the focus in verses 31 through 35 is now on the glory of God. I want us to look at those verses again. It says, Therefore, when He was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek Me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are My disciples, if ye have love one to another. So like I said, the focus is now on the glory of God, but from a human perspective, what Christ was about to endure on the cross, it seems anything but glorifying. It's humiliating. 
Like the suffering and the humiliation. That's the, the cross was the ultimate symbol of that. But from a heavenly perspective, the crucifixion was God's revelation of His own glory. John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus stated, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, one of the most common names Jesus uses in reference to Himself is the Son of Man. Twelve different times in John's Gospel, He refers to Himself as the Son of Man. But verse 31 right here is the final instance. This is His last instance in which He'll call Himself by that. What was this? This was a claim to His deity. It was, a, it was an identifier that He was the Messiah. That He was God, but He was also man. And what did Jesus mean in how He was going to glorify the Father? You know, we, we don't see the full answer until a couple chapters later. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus, He's praying before heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says this, I have glorified Thee on the earth, and I have finished the work that You have given, given Me to do. I've, I've completed the task. So how did Jesus glorify the Father? By doing His will. I've completed my task. I've fulfilled my purpose. I've been obedient to the Father's will because completing the work the Father had sent Him to do was His job. The whole reason Jesus came to earth was to do the will of His Father, not His own. And the way Jesus glorified the Father is the same way you and I glorify the Father today. And that is by faithfully doing what He has called and commanded us to do. For Jesus, the Father's primary will was that the Son die for lost sinners, be raised from the dead, and then ascend back up to heaven. There was some secondary tasks along the way, but that was His primary purpose to bring remission for sins. The Son glorified the Father, and then the Father glorified the Son. And today, you and I, we glorify God by obedience to His Word. Verse number 17, we didn't read this verse, but we also find personal joy and happiness in obedience. Verse number 17, If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. But before Jesus moves on to a new topic of discussion in chapter 14 with, you know, here's the heartbreaking news, but here's the good news. He gives them some special instruction that I believe to be very applicable to us this evening. So verse number 34, just two points this evening. The first thing I want to share with you is a new command is given. A new command is given. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. Just a few weeks prior to Jesus giving this command, He was approached by one of the Pharisees. They had a question. They said, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22 is my favorite response in which they, they alter a little bit, all the same, but it's the most detail that's given. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. With two simple commands... 
Jesus was able to summarize the entire law. Because if you loved God the way you ought to love God, you will have no problem keeping the laws that pertain to God. And if you love your fellow man the way you ought to love your fellow man, then you will have no problem keeping the laws that pertain to your fellow man. And here is what I find most fascinating about these two great commands and then also this new command. They center on one word. Love. The disciples, they already knew they were supposed to love God. The disciples already knew they were supposed to love their fellow man. And now Jesus tells them that they need to remember to love each other. They were definitely going to need this love in a few hours because Jesus would be taken from them. And then their self-appointed spokesperson in Peter would fail them and the Lord. In fact, they would all fail. They would all scatter and Jesus would be left alone in His darkest hour. And the only thing that would bring them back together would be their love for Jesus and their love for each other. So Jesus gives them the new command. He gives them the new responsibility. And the disciples' responsibility was to love each other just as Christ had loved them. And then this love would serve as a testimony that they belonged to Christ. The older I get, by the way, I turned 30 this year. So, I'm getting a little older. That, that may make, you, make some of you feel old because you remember when I was you know, just, just a little guy. I wasn't little very long. But the older I get, the more I believe the old saying, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You know, personally, you, know, you, can, you can catch me after if you have a problem with this statement. But I have no interest in listening to someone whose life doesn't match what they are saying. Even if what they are saying is good. If their life doesn't back it up, then I'm checking out. But I want you to think of your talk and your walk for a moment when it comes to love. Love is best conveyed through actions, not words. John chapter 14, verse number 15, If you love me, keep my commandments not repeat them to someone else. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You obey my word. You see, it's one thing for a person to say I love you, but it's a whole different thing when someone shows you they love you by being selfless. Up until this point, the followers of Jesus, they were known as disciples because they followed Jesus wherever He went. But now Jesus is teaching that they would be identified in a new way because He would soon be returning to heaven. Well, what's that identifier? I'm glad you asked. In verse number 35 and 36, it says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So here we have this new identifier. You know, love, it's a, it's a big theme in John's Gospel. You read, if you read John's account, it's just... It's filled with love. And when you're, as you're reading up until John 13, you're going to find that word used about once per chapter. It's used 12 times. But in John 13 through 21, the remainder of the book, we find love being used 44 times. So one of the key words in Jesus' final teaching to His disciples 
is love. This section of Scripture, it begins and ends with love. John 13.1 reminds us of the love Jesus had for His own. And as we close, and we close the chapter with His command to the disciples to love one another as He had loved them. You see, it is love that is the true evidence that we belong to Jesus. And one of the things that I've struggled with, you know, in, in going through ministry is how often, you know, pastors and teachers and preachers and people with spiritual influence uh, always seem angry. This is, this is all, this isn't limited to the United States either. It's all over the world. They're upset about something. Well, you look at this person with spiritual influence and their demeanor is angry. The conversation style, it's angry. Their interactions with those who aren't like them is far from what we would call loving. And before we're too hard on the preachers, it happens in the pew as well. But you should be able to identify a true believer by how they treat their fellow believers and how they treat their fellow man because it will be defined by love. So how is that love best identified in our lives? How can you see it? By living like Jesus did. You serve others the way that Jesus served. You love others the way that Jesus loved. And you help others the way that Jesus helped others. How do we help others? Simply by being available. You know, you don't always have to pick up something to be a blessing to someone. It's just being available. Being there when you need it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, love is best shown through sacrificial service. And the greatest example of love that was ever given was when Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life on the cross so that we would not have to. John 3.16, as we conclude, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What motivated Jesus to go to the cross though? was a love for His Father and a love for His creation. If you read the beginning of John, we find that Jesus Christ was the tool in which God used to create the world. We are the creation of Jesus Christ. And when God told His Son to go, He went. Because He loved His Father and He loved His creation. So what should motivate you to serve the Lord instead of yourself? Because we're really good at serving ourselves, right? We're, we're really good at looking after number one. But what should motivate us to serve the Lord instead of serving ourselves? It's a love for the Father and it's a love for the Son. You know, our world should be able to recognize that we belong to Christ by how we love each other but sadly, the identifier that the world uses for Christians most often is hatefulness. That's backwards. God never intended it to be that way. In fact, He said, 
By this all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So my message title is The Identifier of a True Believer. I think you realize that that is love. Pastor Coburn, I was talking about a little bit ago, it's really hard to believe the year has come and gone. 2022. Like, 2020 and 2021's all been a blur to me. Like, I don't know about you. Like, 2022? All right, let's give it another shot. Let's see what happens. But another year has come and gone. Another Christmas has come and gone. Brother Curry, my wife laughed this morning at you in Sunday school when you said 364 more days until Christmas. Because when Madison woke up this morning, I said 364 more days until Christmas. So another year, it's come and gone. But I believe right now is the perfect time for you and for me to examine our own lives, to see if we are living lives that are characterized by a love for God, a love for others, and a love for His people. The disciples, they already knew we should love God. They knew that from the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we got that. We know we should love other people. We got that. But Jesus reminded them, hey, you need to love each other as well. And if you bring that all together, that means we should love everybody, regardless of how we feel about them. Love God. Love others. Love the brethren. If you do all those things, I'm pretty sure the Lord's going to bless you in this coming year. And that's not something we just have to talk about as the year comes to a close. This should be your lifestyle. By this, people should be able to look at your life and say, hey, that person belongs to Jesus. I can see they have a love for God. I can see they have a love for me. I can see that they have a love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.